Good morning, everybody. So thrilled. On a typical Sunday, it is about um, four or five hundred people online who are uh, participating in church. And then after that, we have another probably 100 to 200 individuals who watch it on demand. And we're thrilled that you guys are able to join us. Welcome to everyone in Alma and a hello to everybody in Mount Pleasant. Isn't it so unbelievably typical of God, typical, to put stuff in the Bible that we don't want? <laughs> If you ever bumped into a verse, you're like, oh, can we get a little white out, please? I don't know if I like that little bit in there. Of all the things that God could talk about, of all the things that he could address in our lives, these things that sometimes I think we want to hold on so tightly, and there are many of those things in our lives, surely this one that we've been talking about in this series, like generosity or our desire to accumulate and just have and own and possess stuff and money and things, surely that has to be one of the most prevalent things that you can see out there in the world and even in the mirror that are stuff that we just want to hold on to. And yet God addresses it and you're like, oh Lord, why the challenge? Do you have to be so hard sometimes? But God knows, and I mentioned this in week one of the series, that when I take out my wallet, there is this slow motion, creaking, rusty door sound when I attempt to open it up. And he knows that about me. He knows that I don't want to open it up for anything or anyone except myself so often that this is true of all of us. To which I would say, how kind of God to address things that really, really matter. How typically loving of God to speak into areas in our lives, not things that we necessarily uh, want to hear, but things that we need to hear. There is no greater friend. Amen? And that is our Father. Today we complete our series called Advance. This little word that describes, um, if you're new to the church here, it really describes the last two years that is chocked full of exciting kingdom of God initiatives and adventures that we've uh, been looking at. We started Advance two years ago in the month of December. And so we're going to continue our giving into advance for the month of December, which is right around the corner. In fact, we would love to see December being sort of a transformative giving uh, of generosity into the church as we turn the corner into 2022. In so many ways, I think advance is not this thing that one day it's just sort of started. I'm like, okay, that's the beginning. And then now we would say, oh, now this is the end of it. It's over. It's complete. And the reason why I would say that is because for me, as I look at all that God has done in our church and in our community, there are just so many pieces of this initiative that are going to continue to spill over into our lives and into our church on an ongoing basis. Uh, I think that's certainly going to be the case. There's just a ton of activity and momentum related to advanced initiatives. And it's not just a bunch of stuff. Like the last two years has not just been like, okay, well, here's a laundry list of initiatives and we'll just do those things. I think more than anything else, it has been the work and the activity of God in our hearts that has played out in this local church. And church, we are still on mission, amen? Like that never ever ends. And so there must be a continuation of the mission of God in this place. And as we move forward, from my perspective, 
I just want to hit the accelerator when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no conclusion to that. There's no, oh, well, never mind. We're done doing wonderful things for God. Man, there's just going to be a continuing outpouring and outflowing of ministry from this place because that is the work of God. And as his servants, we'll always be about rolling up our sleeves and serving the King of Kings, yeah? What we've been looking at over the last three weeks has been a little section of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. And Paul is talking about something that I think is the exact thing that has happened to take place in our church in the last two years. God has spoken to this church, family by family, person by person, marriage by marriage. And I think he's making us more like his son. He's making us like disciples. More specifically, God has done that by taking this thing that we would rather it not be in the Bible, right? We want to just accumulate and possess and just have things for ourselves. We'd rather not think about it. We'd rather not talk about it. We'd rather keep sort of tight-fisted about these things. But God has called us, individual by individual, family by family, to simply listen to God. Okay, this is what you're speaking to me through your word. And then to respond to God in obedience. And then what has taken place is we've opened up our hands in generosity. And my goodness me, that has certainly taken place in this local church. Why? Why has all that happened? Quite simply, for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not so that we can pat ourselves on the back, or pride, or ego, or look at what we've done. It's for his honor and for his glory. So I want to take a look at some final verses here from Paul, as he sort of brings a conclusion to what happens in your life when you, and I'm going to use Paul's language here, when you so generously... So take a look at some of his language here, verse 6 in chapter 9. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. In these verses right here, I think we find a macro principle of truth that is to be found in the Word of God. And if I could nickname it, I would simply call it the law of sowing and reaping. That's the language that Paul uses here, the law of sowing and reaping. Instinctively, you already know what this is. You, you just know this sort of in your gut. You, you, you see this. But as much as I think we understand this and we know this, I think we actually quickly, quickly forget this. So it will be the simple idea, as <clears throat> many examples, like if you're a person... <clears throat> who sows love and warmth and care towards other people, for the most part, you're going to reap individuals who will respond to you, and they will be very receptive towards you. And you'll find a person like that, probably a lot of people are drawn to them, they gravitate to a loving, careful, uh, caring, and warm person, and that person probably has lots of good relationships and friends. Equally so, if you were to sow that sparingly, and this is sort of common sense, and you've probably all seen a person, you'd go, you know, they're kind of cold. They don't really, 
you know, ask other people about themselves. They wouldn't reach out. They wouldn't sort of be very interested in another person. And you look at that individual and you see, well, they're kind of distant from everybody. They kind of keep to themselves and people seem to keep back away from them. That simple idea of the law of sowing and reaping is true in almost every single arena of life. So if you show up for work late and you barely lift a finger, the idea that you're going to be rewarded for that is not going to be the case. If you invest hundreds of hours, maybe thousands of hours, uh, playing a musical instrument, we all know that person's probably going to become fairly proficient and skillful at that. If you were to plant one tomato plant, or you were to plant a hundred tomato plants, you're smiling at me, aren't you? <laughs> I didn't even pick that on purpose. That's just the right way to say the word. It's obvious what's going to happen if you have one or if you have a hundred, right? There's going to be a difference in those things. The law is equally true when it comes to this idea of, am I a generous man? Are you a generous man? Are you a generous woman? What does that look like in your life? Well, look at this in verse 7. Here's how Paul lays it out. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. And Pastor Eric last week talked about this, like even the pragmatics of saying, I don't want to live in the land of, gee, I'd like to be a generous person, but actually put a plan together, pragmatically build that plan, and then act on the plan. And so here in verse 7, he says, I want you to give what you've decided in your heart to give. This is what God has done in our church. Again, I've just said this, but so many individuals over the last two years saw what God's word said about generosity, went to God and said, Lord, how does this apply to me? Prayed about it, talked about it with their family or their spouse, and then they put a plan together and they acted on their plan. That's exactly what this is. What you give is between you and God. Personally, I actually don't look at what anybody gives in this church. I just don't do it. I'm not interested in who has money and who doesn't have money. I've seen that abused before. I don't know what you give. And here's why. Because it's between you and God. You go to God with what He says in your word, and then you respond in obedience, and you put your plan together. You listen to the Holy Spirit, and you do what God asks you to do. And then He actually defines what kind of giver He wants. Verse 7 again, He says, I don't want you to do that reluctantly or under compulsion. So as a local church, we're just not going to do the guilt trip thing about money. We're not doing the high pressure thing. Now, there's nothing wrong with sales. There's probably many people in our church today who work in sales. That's wonderful. But I don't work in sales. That's not my job. My job is to simply preach the word of God into your hearts and into your lives. God says... So generously. That's what it says in his word. And then you give as God has directed you to give. None of that is obligation. There's no stress. There's no pressure in that. There's no, oh, they're giving this, so I better do that, or at least that, or maybe more. There's no one-upmanship. There's no competition around that. There's no even, tell me how many of you have experienced this in your life. Well, Saturday night, last night, I went out, we had a bit too much fun, and we had a few drinks, and we had a, so I'm kind of coming in here, I'm still a little tipsy, and so there's the plate, so I better stick an extra 50 in there, sort of even things up. How many of you have thought like that? Nobody's putting their hands up. And God says, I'm not interested in that kind of 
uh, behavior. That's not generosity. I don't want pressure. I don't want compulsion. Well, God, what do you want? He says it in verse 7. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. That you would be actually delighted. Lord, you've given me so much. I see what your word says. I'm just so happy to be able to give back. I'm actually glad to do that. I'm happy to do that. Happy to give, particularly when someone else doesn't have. Maybe I could help them or bless them. Particularly if those finances would go to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd be just thrilled to do that. But that's not a natural thing for any of us. That's the transformation of God in your heart, and he creates that. I'm not giving to gain God's approval. I'm not giving to impress anybody in this church. I'm not giving to put on appearances. It's between me and God. It's between you and God. And the word of God says to you today, quite directly, in all of that context, so generously. Go ahead and do that generously. Decide what you will give between you and God. You pray, you respond to him. And then don't do that with any pressure or compulsion. Do that with great joy and happiness and gladness. Look what comes next, verse 11. He says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Paul is actually outlining for us here what could simply be described as a New Testament pattern for the grace of giving. That's what this is. It's a New Testament pattern for giving, for generosity. God in that says, you will be enriched. Well, to what end, God, are you saying that you're going to enrich my life? What's the purpose? Well, let me tell you what the purpose is not. Have you ever played the game if I win the lottery in your head? Okay, I hear some giggles, that's a yes. Have you ever driven down the road and seen the billboard and you're like, oh, that's a big number. Okay, so I'd probably pay some taxes to Uncle Sam and then I'd have this left over and I would totally get a new car and I'd buy a new house. Anyone wanna give me an amen on this? <laughs> Nobody's given me an amen. I have never done that ever, ever. I'm a pastor, please. <laughs> the Bible says, you will be enriched. God, what do you mean by that? Because I don't think it's the lottery game. I don't think that's it at all. Let me ask you this question. Are you rich? Or maybe you look at your life and say, I wouldn't say I'm rich. Maybe you would say, I'm middle of the road kind of rich. Or maybe you would look at your life and you would say, I'm neither of those things. I think I'm poor. What do you do when the Bible says you will be enriched? Actually, the Bible has some really odd language around this principle right here. It can be quite difficult to grasp. Jesus himself comes out and says things like, it is blessed to be poor. It is blessed to be poor in spirit. And he says, those kinds of people will inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus, what is that? What are you talking about? What exactly does that mean? That you'll be happy to be poor. Jesus says things like this. You know, you're not going to have your life until you lose your life. Jesus, that doesn't make any sense. God, you know, he says things like, I want you to give your life away so that you can actually find your life. Do you ever find yourself scratching your head at these sort of cryptic little statements that Jesus comes out with? What does Jesus mean when he says that the first will be last and the last will be first? Last time I looked at a running race at the Olympics, the first person came first, right? What does that mean? 
I think there's a paradigm shift that God would like to accomplish in your mind and in your heart today. Am I rich or am I poor? God, you say in your word that I'm going to be enriched. Is this just me sort of adding up everything that I own and possess? Should I just get out the calculator and say, well, this is the level of maybe my richness or poverty. What is that like? I have a house, a bit of a bit equity there, or I've got some savings, or I've got a retirement, or I own a car. You know, is that what it is? No, it's nothing to do with that at all. Here's the paradigm shift. Listen to me, follower of Christ. I am truly poor. Why would I say that? Here's the paradigm shift. You ready? Here's why. Because my house belongs to God. My car belongs to God. The money in my creaky wallet belongs to God. The shirt on my back belongs to God. The food in my fridge belongs to Jesus Christ. Here's the paradigm shift. Everything I have as a follower of Christ, everything, all of it, it all belongs to God. And when you can move into that mode of revelation and truth from God, here's what it does. It breaks you free of the chains of anxiety about worrying what I will have or will not have about tomorrow. Because God becomes my daily bread. It's a paradigm shift. Nobody in the world thinks like this or functions like this. And when you can step into that truth, that paradigm shift, you not only stop worrying about where your provision is going to come from, but now all of a sudden, shiny, sparkly little things begin to lose their glimmer. They do. They just do. You no longer look at yourself as the accumulator and the hoarder and the owner and the possessor. Now God says to you, all of these things belong to me. Here's the crazy thing in this paradigm shift. Are you ready for this? You're not ready for this. Are you ready for this? Then God says, when you say, Lord, there it is. I'm giving it to you. He turns around and he says, really? Oh, great. I'm giving them all back to you. Really? I, I just gave them to you, God. I actually just got to a place where I was like, I want to have them, I want to keep them, I want to hoard them, I want to have, be tight-fisted about them. But now I give them to you. And the second I do that, God says, yeah, I'm giving them back for you. And here's why. He says, you're no longer the owner. Here's the shift. You now become the manager, the steward, the keeper of those resources on behalf of the master. That's it. Does this make sense? Now, we begin to understand stories in the New Testament where it talks about this man, where he goes to this field, and he sees this treasure in the field. He says, huh, I will sell everything that I have. None of that is important to me anymore. And he buys the field, and it says he rejoices. What is this treasure? It is Jesus Christ himself. Now he's rich. I'm poor. I'm totally poor. I'm rich. All of this is now for his honor and for his glory. And that is the role of a follower, of a servant, of a foot washer, of a steward, of a manager. And that is how you become enriched. To what end, God? Three things. Your generosity is an expression of the gospel. Your generosity, it blesses other people. Your generosity gives honor and glory to God. And only God can accomplish that in a culture and a world that says, it's mine. 
I want to have it for me. I want to build my kingdom. I want to build my castle. I want to have my stuff. I want to keep it for me. Again, nobody's thinking like this. This is a New Testament pattern for the grace of giving. Look at verse 12. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. For your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given to you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. These verses bring all of this generosity back to the gospel. So much bigger than, okay God, I'll give you something, but I get something back, right? I'll give you five dollars, Jesus, but you better give me ten, right? You gotta bless me. I don't know where we get this nonsense where we begin to barter and negotiate with God. No, it's all about this harvest. This is what these verses are, re, are, 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 are laying out for us. It's all about this idea of, of sowing so that we can reap a harvest. This is gospel expression. This isn't pride. It's not ego. It's not let's pat ourselves on the back. Let's look at community church. We're the best. We're so humble. Uh, look at everything I give. Sort of beat my chest. I give and I give and I give. Woe is me. It's none of that. No, God just gets our lives and he gets our ministry and he gets our resources and he gets our generosity and he gets everything. And in these verses again and again, it says that all produces thanksgiving to God. All of it. Glory to God. We think God's trying to get our money. <laughs> What's God going to do with your money? What's he going to do? Open up a MasterCard and have a good time? Check out Psalm 50, verse 9. I have, and you've got to look at the language, right? Ancient language. I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pens, for every animal in the forest is mine. Here's this same truth again. It's all belonging to the King of Kings. And the cattle on a thousand hills. He says, I know every bird in the mountain and the insects, the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't even tell you. The world is mine and all that is in it, including you and I. God says, I don't need you to make me dinner. I don't need breakfast from you. I'm fine. I don't want your stuff. I don't need your money. What I want is you. And I will not compete for your heart with stuff. What I want is humility and a contrite heart because the sacrifices of God are thanksgiving and a recognition that all that you have comes from your Father. It all belongs to Him and a dependence in Him as His children, His sons and daughters. And here's where God gets all the glory. Verse 13. It literally says, others will, be, will praise God because of your generosity. Other people giving honor and glory to God because of your generosity. He is equating giving and generosity as an expression of the gospel. No mistaking it. And then it's just honor and glory and adoration and praise to the king who would actually cause that to take place in a stingy heart like mine, in a tight-fisted hand like mine. All because, again, last week, 
They gathered their gift. They put a plan together. They made preparations. They were ready to practice generosity. They were ready to act on that, all of which resulted in worship and joy. Nobody's preaching this stuff. Nobody's talking about this. I think preachers are afraid to talk about it. But here it is in the Word of God. The result is not glory to community church or glory to some big dollar amount in a few weeks. We'll share when we, when we close up advance, we'll share. And, and I think it's right to mark the occasion to say, look, this is what the giving was. And we can say, thank you, Lord. But it's not about some dollar amount. It's not about maybe even some person in our church who's like, well, I wrote, I wrote a really big check. Oh, wow, that's amazing. It can never be about all of that. The result of all of it has to be, look at what you've done, God. Honor and glory and praise to the King of Kings. That's what we're about. Jesus was rich. He says, I will deliberately become poor. That was physical and emotional and spiritual. It was an emptying of himself, a pouring out of himself, a spending of himself that resulted in generosity, not just physical generosity, but spiritual generosity. The ability to reach into the lives and souls of people and pragmatically, yes, clothe them and feed them. Praise God for that. But most importantly, to pay for the redemption of their souls. That is what generosity accomplishes. Church, what next? What next? <clears throat> As we bring a conclusion to advance and we move into 2022. Uh, next year, uh, we'll be calling the church to a time of prayer and fasting. We're going to seek God's face. And actually, I've been in that mode for several months now. Uh, and so have the elders. Uh, what next? I was praying about this. And I'm not joking you. I believe the, the Lord gave me a vision. The Lord gave me a picture. And it was the oddest picture because it had to do with golf. And I know I feel like a traitor to my own home country. I feel like I'm supposed to love golf and be good at golf because I'm from Ireland. But I'm terrible at golf. Like, I hate golf. If you want to play golf with me, no, I'm not going with you. I'm, I'm just terrible at it. I just get angry for 18 holes. Uh, so I'm terrible at golf. But I, God put this picture in my mind of golf. Can I show you this little image here? I asked some of the guys to, if they could put this up on the screen. I want you to, this is the picture that the Lord gave me. Look at this. And this is where we're at as a church. In answer to the question, what next? This is what Advance has allowed and set up for us as a church. Here's where we're at. Right there. That's where we're at as a church right now. I think Advance has almost plowed the field, has prepared the ramp, set us up on the road. This is the picture the Holy Spirit said. Here's where we're at. We've got all of this potential energy that's going to be unleashed in the kingdom of God. And that's where we're at right now. Can I say two things to you, please? Firstly, it is a continuation of what has started here. Even though these two years are winding down, we know, church, that we are still on a path of serving God. And the initiatives within advance, of course they're at work still. To say the insanely obvious thing, the church in Alma, I'm talking to them right now. Praise God for the church in Alma. This advance initiative allowed us the ability and the resources to launch a church in Alma. Praise God. So church in Alma, the idea that now those two years are winding down, that we would then say, well, let's wind up the church in Alma. We're all done with that. would be insanely ridiculous. Of course we would not do that. There's the continuation of ministry in Gratia County. More men and women and children that need to hear about Jesus Christ. The Celebrate Recovery Ministry, the 12-step program. 
We're just getting started. That thing is just finding its feet and getting going now. Individual with hurts and habits and hang-ups that every one of us here are invited to come and be a part of. That thing is only gaining momentum right now. Our budget assures right now, I'm talking pragmatically, church, that we actually remain on this pace. We're not going back in time. We're not going back to 2018 or 19 because there are other communities that need to hear about Jesus Christ. And we want to be faithful to continue in ministry. I mentioned earlier, but advanced giving is going to continue through the month of December. But can I just say to you, we are not landing the plane. It is like a launching pad for us as we move forward. As a ministry, we are not going to constrict. We're not going to get smaller. We don't want to shrink in gospel influence. And my hope is that the giving in advance for December will be a, a mark the occasion and an exclamation point on all that God has done, but all that he's going to continue to do. Secondly, church, I want to ask you and call you today to be alert. As followers of Christ, in the New Testament, we see this parable of the ten virgins. It's like this wedding party, and they're all there. And all these bridesmaids are there. They're known as the, the ten virgins. And it says sort of five of them are lazy and five of them are sort of prepared. They have their lamps and they're waiting on the bridegroom. It's kind of the opposite to most modern day uh, weddings. They're waiting on the bridegroom to come and it's getting dark. And so they light their lamps, but they run out of oil. These lazy five, uh, the, these virgins, these, these uh, bride uh, in, in the wedding party. And, and there's five responsible uh, uh, virgins who have their lamps ready and prepared. And finally, late, 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 the announcement goes out. The bridegroom has arrived, but they have no light. They have no oil left. They are ill-prepared. And the, the story in the New Testament says they are shut out and they are, no, they are not permitted to enter into the, the banquet and into the wedding. The door is shut. And I would just say right now, Jesus is saying, I want you to stay awake. I want you to be watchful. I want you to be ready. I want you as keepers and stewards and managers of resources, I want you to take care of what I've given to you. And I want you to watch the door because I am coming back. And I'm saying this to you. I'm saying this to every single person because we are the ones who believe that Jesus lived, that he came from heaven to earth. We are the ones that believe that Jesus died that he rose from the dead, amen? We are the ones who believe that he ascended, but we are also the ones who believe that he is coming back again. And we have to be ready for that. We must be watchful. So church, I want us on a war footing. That's what we're in. If anything, these two years have primed us and steeled us. They brought about a spiritual fitness in generosity as disciples to prepare for what God has next. Church, there is more. There is much more to do. So what is next? next? I will call the church to a time of prayer and fasting next year. I want us, as it were, to sort of remain in an advanced footing if we could because we are not done. In fact, the moment that we stop facing outward, and by that I mean that the opposite of just looking at ourselves, the moment that we stop thinking and caring for those who don't know Jesus Christ yet will be the death of this church. And we can never go there. So we're going to seek God's face. We're going to stay on mission. We're going to continue to lead people to a focused life with Jesus Christ. Because that's what we do. That's just what we do. And we're not stopping that. Advance has allowed us to reach so many needs. And right now at this tail end, I actually want to do that again in a very specific way. 
We're going to bless schools right now in central Michigan. Just take a look at this video. Here at Community Church, we've always been about loving our community and caring for those in need. And a part of that is making sure that we're listening to what it is that people need and making sure that we're there for them. One of the needs that we've identified actually involves our educators. So this is my um, 18th year in education and education in 2021 is different than anything I've ever experienced. Students are coming to school um, without having food and that happened before but it's different now. Students are coming to school without having proper clothes which happened before but it's different now. It's stressful, it's scary, a common cold or in somebody's blowing their nose, you're scared. Um, there's a lot more absences, um, there's a lot more pressure to try to get these kids to where they need to be and they come to us a lot lower than normal because of how the past has been with being online and it's just a lot of, it's a lot different. Uh, it was great this year to see kids again. We got to see all those kids come back in the classroom, but that has also come with new challenges. Now we're looking at kids that haven't been in the classroom for maybe a year, year and a half, that are getting used to a classroom setting. School has changed in a lot of ways for the, in the last couple years with COVID. Um, not only are we dealing with students that are struggling academically because of learning loss, uh, we are also dealing with teacher shortage and um, on top of that, sub shortage. So we all know this year has been pretty crazy, like for all of us. But as we've talked to the educators, it's been especially hard for them. And when we came to them and asked, what is it that you really need? How can we help? They said, we don't really need more muffins. We don't need more coffee. What we need, what would lighten our burden is people in the schools. We need substitute teachers. If you're looking at our staff as a team, um, we are working together as a team. And so we're filling gaps and holes for each other. That is awesome and we can do that. But then you start to feel stretched and um, very, very stressed. You don't honestly know what tomorrow might hold. I can plan on having all of my music classes, but I very well might need to pinch hit and help for another teacher. My staff, I've had upwards of eight people out in a building of 30. That's a lot of people and you need a lot of people to fill those positions. There's not a single day that goes by that my PE teacher or my art teacher doesn't say, did you need me to sub today? Often, I wouldn't, often, yeah, often, we um, will get a phone call saying we're short a sub. And so um, that planning time, we don't have anymore. So everything on my to-do list then gets pushed to after school, which cuts into um, our family time. So Community Church, beyond hearing the need, we wanna be a people that actually do something to meet that need. And so we're excited to be launching this initiative called Sub In. And what we wanna do is we wanna get, over the course of the next few weeks, 50 people signed up to be substitute teachers in our local schools. We had additional subs and we didn't have to scramble so much trying to fill positions. We would be able to start um, feeling a sense of peace, which I know probably sounds silly when we're, you know, opening an elementary school full of 300 kids and I'm talking about peace, but truly that is what it is. We have students that are able to go where they're supposed to and we have people that are ready to love them in those spots. Um, I really feel strongly if you're having uh, just a little spark in your heart that this might be a place that you could help. I would strongly encourage you to dive in. As a sub, you could be that mentor that makes that kid's day. 
And that, was, that to me is the, one of the most rewarding part uh, of any occupation, that you can walk in and that you can be the best part of somebody's day. When you go into a, a building, there is not a single adult in that building, administrator, teacher, paraprofessional, that won't help you. They will guide you through it. Our teachers are leaving well-detailed lesson plans. We will make sure that you are comfortable, people will check on you, and it is truly who we are as educators. We wrap our arms around anybody that comes into our buildings to support and love on our kids like we do. Uh, you're not stuck in a room all by yourself to deal with 25, 30 kids. There are always teachers that are right next door. There are people all the time around to help. Like I said before, our goal is 50 substitute teachers in our local schools as soon as possible. And so if that's something you'd be excited about, something that you feel like you could help us do, go to mpcc.org sub for more information or to get your application started. On the topic of applications, we understand that the process to be a substitute teacher can be a little bit cumbersome. If you need any help along the way with your application through WillSub, let us know. We'd love to help streamline that process for you. We also understand that sometimes the cost to be a substitute teacher can be prohibitive. There's the cost for your fingerprinting to get your college transcripts, as well as the cost to the state of Michigan to get licensed as a sub. We're committing to helping pay for at least 50 people to go through this entire process. So if that's something you want to be a part of, if you would like to sub in, go to mpcc.org sub for more information and let's help lift the burden off of our educators. Praise God. Praise God. <clears throat> Guys, talk, talk about a, a current need right now. This is huge. Absolutely massive. And, and this is what I'm talking about where we mean the continuation of ministry going on. This is, here we are at the tail end of advance and we're starting something fresh. And I absolutely love it. There's a huge need. If you have the bandwidth and the capacity and the heart, just go to God, pray about it. But I would say don't pray about it for six months. Like, pray about it today. And then if you're going to move on it, act on it quickly because the need is very, very present. So praise God. Thank you for being a part of that. Text the keyword to the number on the screen and that'll send you right to an application if that's easy. Let let me wrap up uh, with a single word if I can, and it is the word honor. Romans chapter 12 says that we're to honor one another uh, above ourselves. Church, here at the tail end of advance, I want to honor you. I really mean this. Like, what is, what's happened in the last two years is fairly incredible. I want to say to you, church, that I love you, and I'm so grateful for you for your heart for God and for the Lord and for ministry. You need to hear this and you need to know this, that I esteem you today and I cherish every single one of you as a part of this church family. I want to encourage you today and you should be encouraged. I want to build you up and affirm you today because what you have done is not common. Your generosity is actually completely countercultural. Instead of doing what everybody else does, which is self-oriented and self-serving and self-accumulation, you have put that away from you and you have embraced kingdom of God orientation. And I want to brag on you because what you have done is commendable. I believe it reflects the heart of God. You have listened to the Holy Spirit. You've looked at the word of God. You've gone to God and then you've said, yes, God. And I just want to brag on you for saying yes, I want you to transform me, God, in an area that I typically don't want to talk about. Thank you for doing that. It's a difficult area of our lives. Preachers don't even want to preach about it. Money, it's such a cynical topic. But Jesus addresses it. And what has happened in this church is special, and it is weighty, and it is precious, and I think it is very unique. This is our church. 
Church, I honor you. Our church, with great love, you are the best of the best. You are holy for God. You are innovative, creative leaders. You are servants. You love God. You love people. And you pour out your lives for others. And I am so proud of you. I'm proud of your heart to pray, your heart to pray for the lost. Your generosity has been an ex a spectacular expression of the gospel. Right in the middle of a viral pandemic of COVID-19 and a social pandemic of fear and panic, your willingness to be different and distinct, your willingness to love people who are different than you, who think different and act different, who look different, to open up your life to them, to be unified around the gospel at a time where people are so splintered, knowing that we can do more together than we can do apart. Church, I honor you today. Above all, I want to honor the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? I want to honor the name that is above all names. My Savior, my Redeemer, the one who has forgiven me, the one who has reached down and pulled me out of a pit, the one who loves you and has been your helper and your healer and your deliverer and your father. We honor the name of Jesus Christ because he is the Prince of Peace and the King of Kings, the Alpha and the Omega the everlasting God. He is the eternal one. He is incomparable. He's unchanging. He is good. He is right. He is pure. He is holy. He is our God. Church, why don't we stand up together and let's worship the King of Kings.